Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferencecom slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ference, and this is episode number 23. I wanted to chat quickly about the most powerful thing that you can do to achieve your goals. It's something you might actually not be doing, even though you feel like you are. So here we go. There is a whole industry that revolves around making yourself better or becoming more productive. Look at this podcast. It is as much inspired by that as it is a part of it. This industry exists because there is a large percentage of people that want to be better. They feel there is something preventing them from meeting their goals and having the success they always dreamed of. And there is. It's just not what they think it is. See, there's an interesting phenomenon around productivity and goals. Actually, probably more around learning any new skill or making any life change in general. It's something that I'm just as guilty of as the next person. Here it is. People confuse ingesting content about something they want to do for actually doing that thing. If I watch this video about goals, I'll achieve my goals. If I follow this workout Instagram, I will lose weight. If I watch this video about Spotify growth, I'll have a hit song. This is something that I don't think is brought up as much as it should be in the self-improvement, productivity, and education worlds. I think maybe I've only seen two or three people mention it. The only thing that will make change in your life or work towards your goals is doing something. Yes, exploring new ideas, watching videos for inspiration, and learning new skills are all great. And they are all necessary for your growth. But nothing, absolutely nothing, trumps doing. Sure, this feels obvious. So here's an example that is very much based in firsthand experience. You watch a YouTube video for 15 minutes about how Elon Musk time blocks his day because you feel overwhelmed with how much work you have to do and you're looking for a solution. Then, you continue your day being just as stressed as you were before. Or, skip the video and spend 15 minutes planning your week out into manageable chunks of time, which results in you feeling less stressed because you can see what you need to do and how much time it will take. This is the difference between thinking and doing. Don't fall victim to believing that thinking about or researching what you want to do with your life is the same as doing it. In fact, if you turn this podcast off right now, and went and did the next smallest action that will move the needle on your goals, I'd be 100% for that. Is uh, anybody still there? (laughs) It's just kidding. Uh, So this goes back to our rant last week about holding yourself accountable for the actions that you do and do not take. You likely know what you need to do next to further your career. Hopefully, if you listen to this show, you have actionable tasks that will work you towards your goals listed. So do them. Stop talking about it. Stop reading about it. And you know what? Seriously, pause this episode right now and go do the next task on your list. I've no clue what that'll do for my analytics, but whatever, just come back afterwards. We'll see you then. Today's guest is Dave Green, the frontman of the Los Angeles-based, UK-displaced band, The Filthy Souls. In addition to fronting his own project, Dave also writes for an uncountable number of artists, brands, and shows, as well as plays with the band Atlas Genius. His music has been used in spots for everything from Bose to Baywatch to the X-Men Dark Phoenix trailer, and he also recently sang the theme song to the Mobile Legends video game. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Dave Green. What's up, Dave? I'm good. How are you, Travis? Um, I'm not bad. It's good to see you, man. It's been, uh, I don't know, it's been, is it years? Do we have to put an S on there? Has it been that long? I think the last time I saw you was at your studio working on the Atlas Genius record, and that must have been... It was actually my birthday. It was. It was my birthday. Oh, so it was, it was two years ago. 
in August <laughs> and we had cake and champagne. That's right. That's right. We also did work, though. People should know that something happened besides cake and champagne. Yeah, we didn't just have cake and champagne. We yeah. did make a song, too. Yeah. As far as everybody's concerned, something happened. We were talking the other day. You said you were doing a FaceTime writing session. What's this whole like lockdown world been like for your creativity and your writing? Uh, it's actually been a lot more creative than I thought it was going to be. At the beginning of... Well, I just got back from Australia working with Atlas Genius in February. And then I, as soon as I got off the plane, I think um, I was back for about two weeks and then it went into lockdown. So I have um, an outside studio in North Hollywood. And I decided, well, because we can't go anywhere, why not bring all the gear to my house and set up a little home studio? And then I started recording my, you know, just like songs for film and TV, just to try and see what I could get going on. And then I... Called up a couple of friends of mine and said, hey, you fancy doing some writing? That's been pretty good. We've done about 20 songs now. Oh, wow. We signed a deal with Zinc Music in New York. And we've been, you know, just hammering it out for little briefs here and there. And the FaceTime thing, going back to that, I tried a few with Keith, actually, the singer of Atlas Genius in particular. But we always, it was like, oh, his dinner's ready, or I was going out to the post office, like the most boring shit. Um, <laughs> but we finally got one in the in the can, I suppose you'd say. But it was, you know, it was actually really good. And we were both like, wow, we actually did a full song on FaceTime within four hours. It was a demo. I think I showed you as well. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. That's a tough time zone. I've talked to him a couple times. Uh, that's a tough one, LA to there. It's either real early in the morning or it's yeah. early for them. It's uh, it's tough. But um, it's sixteen and a half hours. That's the difference. Yeah, they have the half hour. I don't know why. <laughs> sixteen and a half hours. Yeah, we'll we'll blame it on on them, on their side. Yeah, you've always been doing a lot of like ad and commercial work. Now, are you you feel like you're doing more? writing for that stuff than you were before? Yeah, because I've not been able to... Usually I, you know, as well as doing this kind of uh, work for film and television stuff and, and whatnot, advertisements, I was always doing my, my own artist project, The Filthy Souls, at the same time. And then also playing with Atlas Genius on guitar. So we were going out here and there and doing stuff. But because all the live music has stopped, it's just been me just hammering every day like writing a song a day basically for in hopes that one of them will land here and there and i've actually been quite lucky so i was actually listening to your podcast about Corey Britt saying he doesn't like lucky yeah, and it's he true doesn't. i was agreeing with i was like it's true because i say that i've been lucky but i suppose i've worked every day for the last year on a song a day so yeah right i, I landed a few so that's yeah. it the hard yeah. work paid off finally yeah, if you're putting in uh, you're putting in the hours and you've met the contacts, when the email comes and your song gets picked, some people might say luck, but you still had to, you know, put down 150 yeah. songs and and meet a bunch of people to be in that situation. So mm -hmm. let's uh, let's talk Filthy Souls. I know you guys started, or it's just you. You started Manchester, England. Uh, what got you over here to Los Angeles? I was actually playing bass in another group, and the lead singer left the band because his wife got pregnant and he just thought, I'm giving up on this rock and roll dream. He was uh, he was about 10 years older than me. I think I was 19 at the time. And I thought, well, I'd always sang a little bit here and there, but mainly I played bass to start with. And I thought, well, I better start writing some songs here because I want to continue the rock and roll dream. <laughs> so I put together a collection of 10 tracks over about a year, went into the studio. I was doing covers gigs at the time. So I was playing in pubs and clubs, other people's songs to try and make some money so I could afford to go to the studio. And then every you know couple of weeks, I would get in the studio and record another one, go play some cover shows, go and record another one. Then I put the music on to MySpace. Um, I got a bunch of friends of mine to... <laughs> yeah, the MySpace days. I got a bunch of friends of mine to play in the band with me, The Filthy Souls. I had Mark Hogan, Barry Robinson, Anthony Lavin. Those are three of my close friends from high school. So we started the band and we had the like the lock and all that. Like we went and did photo shoots. And then the songs were on MySpace and we had like, you know, I guess we had a image that we'd 
put up there as well of us all. And then people connected with the music. We got a song on a TV show called ABC. It was ABC Family. It was 10 Things I Hate About You, the TV version. Somebody along the way heard the stuff on MySpace, decided they liked it, and then put the music in the show. They wrote the band into the show as well, and the actors were wearing Filthy Souls t-shirts. This is the longest story of all time. <laughs> but... <laughs> So we're on MySpace, that happens, and then get a call from a manager, Brian Klein, who's a dear friend of mine still to this day, and says, hey, I've heard your music on uh, MySpace, and you're getting a lot of streams because of the TV show that the song was on. We started charting on the MySpace charts in the UK. We got to number one at a period, and he said, you want to come over? I'm setting up a tour, and I think you'd be great for it. So he said, of course, that would be amazing. We'd love to come over. So what had happened at the same time as the tour happening, ABC Family had called and said, we want to put the band in the TV show too. And we'd gone from the rainiest place in the world to the sunniest place in the world. <laughs> it was just like, like I'm, I'm not going back. No, I'm all right. I'll, I'll, I'll make songs here. That was the longest story of how I got to LA. <laughs> it, it was better than, you know, we bought a plane ticket, you know, it was, kept the interest up. So did things kind of start to snowball a little bit after the ABC show and you got people on TV wearing your band name? Was it like, did you guys feel like you were on the verge of cool stuff? Did you have labels calling and stuff like that? Yeah, we were quite lucky because the full album was already done. So like there was no like artist development that needed to do. The record was already there. We had four guys who could play and we came over, did the show and then it was kind of like we went, we touted ourselves around, like, you know, to different licensing companies and like played um, showcases and all that. Yeah. And then uh, Secret Road, who's a licensing company, decided they wanted to sign us because they thought we were good. And they were the ones who, at that point, started to like really push all the songs to film and television. And oh, after cool. that, it was like we started getting Pretty Little Liars, um, Red Band Society, um, Greek. Um, One Tree Hill, all those kind of things. So it was like that. That was great for you know the four of us because you know as you know musicians don't make much money. So we were actually <laughs> making money, which was very nice to be there for a couple of uh, a couple of months, and then suddenly we're getting all these placements on TV, which could then we could afford to you know get a rehearsal room and right. get some nicer gear and, yeah. and go out and enjoy ourselves. <laughs> I know uh, so many people, especially 2020 in particular, like I know every musician has gone so hard at trying to get more syncs, more licensing placements. Do you think there's a like a like a validation that comes with having a big spot like that ABC spot? Does that do you feel like that made it easier for Secret Road to push you out there and land you more spots? Yeah, I definitely think it helps. Like you, you become like the music supervisor favorite, and you know, or fil well, familiar what name. Yeah, we we actually became good friends with uh the music supervisor for all those shows and i'm i guess he liked the music his name's chris muller if he's listening he's a fucking legend so <laughs> he was great and he kept you know he kept pushing us for all these things then we became friendly with him we invited him out a couple of times and had a dinner and all that cool it definitely helped the band it uh, it helped us um People kind of took it a bit more seriously because they're like, oh, the music's accepted by, you know, this TV show and whatnot. And then when you can say like, oh, we've been featured on this, then people get a bit more interested. Do you have any tips or thoughts for a young band that is like hoping to land their first placement? No, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've d I actually did a, a panel for, I had to talk about this and I just said, Basically, what I do, I'm, I'm very strict on myself and I get up every day and I write a song a day, at least try and do something a day. So if you think, you know, I've been here for nine years and I'm doing about a song a day, that's a lot of songs. And <laughs> It's a lot of songs. Not a lot of people do that. So in that world of licensing, it's obviously got to be good. You've got to stick with the times. There's been times where couple of years where my music did not sync whatsoever because the style of music was so off from what was happening. I was a little out of touch from it. Then I had to obviously reevaluate everything because I was doing the indie rock thing. So I think with my advice would be follow what 
is on TV, like follow the styles, obviously be yourself, be creative. And you've got to enjoy what you do as well. Like you can't just make something that you hate because, you know, it's going to represent your band or your brand, whatever you want to call it. Right. And you want it to be cool. My advice would be work hard, (laughs) write a lot of songs, meet a lot of people. There's a lot of... I think the thing is, I'm going to watch what I say because I don't want it to come out wrong. But like, you have to meet the right people. But they, you also have to understand that, you know, without you as an artist, if you've got something that is good, they're going to want you. So if you're not getting anything, then it's probably not the right thing. And you might want to change your approach, try something different, get a new singer. The songs that I've done for so long that I actually have... Um, a singer I work with now. Her name's Ray. She's amazing. And she's singing the majority of the new songs that I'm doing because it's a different approach. And, and it gives me the chance to be able to work, uh, you know, on the music side of things. And I work with her friend, our friend, Addison Scott too. So the two of us are doing that and he's, me and Addison are doing the music and she's doing the vocal and it's kind of nice. But anyway... Nice. The advice is just work hard. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> write totally. some songs. Well, I think meet I, some people. <laughs> what what I was kind of taking away from that is you still have to be authentic to what you want to make, even if you're not necessarily, I guess, making it for your project. But you need to, you know, have a singer that's invested in singing it the way that it needs to be sung. That mm-hmm. it still has to be real. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there in this in the licensing game who I know are just making up projects and just writing crappy songs because they know it makes some money. And a lot of them are successful in doing it, but I prefer to stay somewhat true to what I like. And the thing is, is once your song does get on a TV show or a film, then you can promote it and you've basically got free marketing. There's a song I did for Suits. It was on the first episode of the last season and it played for like two minutes the song was only like 240 and you know it got over a million streams like very quickly and it's you know and that's the thing is like i can then do a music video for that which i think is cool and you know i'm not just making some cheesy tunes so yeah stay true when you're approaching a brief do you go at it with the angle of it being the Filthy Souls or your new project? Or sometimes do you write for briefs outside of your normal realm? When you get a brief in, it's always the the classic, we need a song that sounds like this, this, and this. So what I do is I listen to the three songs that they usually send and then ignore it completely <laughs> because it's like, because that's the, the, the uh, slippery slope that you start writing Suddenly I'm writing the exact guitar riff or it's like the exact same beat or BPM is like spot on or the key. It's like when they say they want a song that sounds like this, they don't mean they want the song to sound exactly like this. They mean they want it in that world where it feels emotionally or lyrically where it's got that same same presence where, you know, they turn it on and it's like, oh, you know, it's got the same, like even lyric, you know, it's got the same meaning, but you're not, obviously copying it so basically i listen to the song a few times what they've sent then i go okay now it's time to make my version of what i think is right and sometimes i've been successful and sometimes i've not heard a thing and i've spent two days working on a song which i think is oh this is the one man this is gonna make me so much money (laughs) and then, then it's just silence nothing don't even get a thank you for trying the worst part about the music industry just in general is uh, you just know ne- you're so many times nobody says anything. The only time you hear something is if something is extremely awful or extremely good. Everything in between, it's just yeah. silence. It's, uh, it's definitely. They, uh, I think it's hurry up and wait is the term. Oh, That's yeah. it. Yeah, hurry up and wait. I wanted to go back. You mentioned that you write a song a day and you were telling people like you got to put in hard work there was an interview that I saw that you did. Maybe it's the one that you were referencing where you said that you, uh, you basically try to never let an idea die when you have it. Why, why is that? Do you want to just see where that song ends up before you decide like what it is and where it lives in your realm? I think for me, it's, it's like I try and finish the song at least, even if it's rubbish. It's funny because the, 
I learned it from another podcast what I listened to. And I think it was Ed Sheeran was talking and he said, and I took this on, it was like two years ago. It was like, finish the song because you don't want any of the rubbish that you might put into this song to leak into your next song. You know what I mean? Like a <laughs> lyric, you're like, oh, I'll, t- I'll, I'll put it into the next one. It's like, I try and do as much fresh ideas as possible. Obviously, there's riffs that come back. I, d- I try and finish everything that I do because that's the that's the hardest thing, I think. There's a lot of people I know who write songs and they're half cooked. And then it's like, dude, that, that's a hard drive hit. It's literally on your hard drive. It's half finished and it's fucking amazing. And they don't do anything about it. And it's sad. Hard drive hit is an amazing, uh, it's an amazing term. Yeah, I know, mm-hmm. know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> if you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Was Is there anything in your life that made you have that work ethic of, I'm going to do a song a day, I'm just like never going to stop? Learning from my parents, because it's almost like a guilty thing. Um, my parents always pushed me to do music, not like, you know, not like you're doing music, boy. It was like <laughs> they supported me is the right way to say it. They supported me so much that it was... Um, it's it's kind of like a guilty feeling where I think like, you know, my dad got up to work every single day for like 30 years. And if I can't just wake up in my pajamas and write a song, then there's something wrong with me. Like, don't be so lazy, man. You've got this amazing <laughs> opportunity. You live in one of the most, like, apart from COVID, before it was one of the most happening cities in the world. It was brilliant. It shows music on every day. And I think it's like... If I can't appreciate the fact that I'm here and all I have to do is write songs, then I think there's something wrong with me and I shouldn't be doing it. So it's like, I think if you get up, you make your tunes. Ben, I also, it's like, um, it's therapy for me too. It makes me feel better. Yeah. And I do it because, you know, my parents work their ass off and I think I should work my ass off because... (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't know, I see so many lazy musicians and just like, Really? You wrote a song in a year? Come on, man. Like, that's it? Yeah. One song? You know, it's like you're, you're stretching a muscle. You know, you don't, you don't bench press 500 pounds by bench pressing, you know, every three months. It's uh, yeah. creativity and songwriting in particular. It's a skill. You grow that skill. You've got to do it to, to grow it. Yeah, it's... You know, you said it best there. It's like, it really is. It's just, you're not going to, if you don't try, the thing is as well, if, like, if you don't try and write something, you might, you'll never get a chance to do it, you know? Right. Yeah. Like you said, it's a muscle. Um, you've got to, I think it's like you're training yourself. You're not going to write a smash song if you don't try. You're not going to write a good track if you don't get up and give it a shot. It's like, nobody's going to knock on the door and go, oh, you want a hit song? There you go. Yeah. I've never had a hit, so I've never had one. I've so I'm always working for that hit. You know, it's like I want to have a big song. I've had lucky songs, like Lucky. There I go again with luck. I've had songs that have been put on stuff, but you know, I've never had the the big, big hit. You know what I mean? Which we all want. Everybody's chasing the hit. Yeah, talking about writing every day and and chasing the hit. In your time in LA, did you ever get into the whole? the songwriting scene where you're doing like two two sessions a day wandering around room to room in town did you ever end up in that uh i've never had the chance to work with you know like the big pop stars or anything like that but i've the thing is for me is i i was a lot of the time being here i was writing for myself for filthy soul stuff so i was going into sessions with uh, different people i didn't do the two song a day thing it was more like I would drive every day to go to uh, Revolver Studios in Woodland Hills and work over there. And I met a lot of great writers. And every other day, you know, I'd work with different people. 
done a bunch of writing camps um, for Zinc Music. They're really fun. I got to work with Tim Myers. He was an amazing songwriter. He's like the number one licensed person of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, he was the guy who wrote Stop and Stir for One Republic. So he put an advertisement on, well, an advertisement, he put a post on Facebook and saying, does anybody in my friends know any good singers and songwriters? And a friend of mine said, Dave Green, and put me <laughs> forward for it. So I sent him an email like, hey, my friends recommended me. I had no idea who he was. And then I was like, oh, wow. He's so he invited me to do all the writing, the writing camps, which are really fun. That's where you go for two weeks every day and you write with a different person a day in the room, in a different room at the studio. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the writing camp, uh, I've done some writing camps from the uh, from the engineering side and uh, they're a lot of fun. You know, you get people in there all day jumping around room to room and uh, it's yeah, kind of like a it's, a it's a fun vibe. It's like a a mixer almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Like, and you yeah. get to meet people. I've met, I've met some really cool people from it. There's a studio called Mirrorball in the Valley. It's actually right near your studio. Um, oh, yeah. It's Tony Maserati's place. And in there, like five years ago, was just a group of writers. It was fantastic. It was like, you know, the door was, you know, revolving door. Everyone was coming in and out and different people. And all those people are still like my best friends today. That's cool. That was five years ago. We were all working in the same little community, and it's good. Your writing style, I mean, coming from the rock world, I'm guessing you're probably sitting down with an instrument and writing the full song. Or do you, uh, do you build out tracks sometimes? I used, to, um, I used to sit with an acoustic guitar and write the entire song and then produce it up. Now I start with a drum beat, and then usually it's a bass riff or a guitar riff because a lot of the time I'm doing... You know, the the these days, the last year, I've been doing advertisement music. So it's a lot of like doom do 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 that kind of riff thing, like but with like, you know, big fat drum sound and then with drops in between and you know, big hand claps and then, you know. So I I I start with the the track these days because it's just me at home on my own and then um yeah, and then I have two my two writer friends, Addison and Ray. They come over, and we we make the the, the rest of the pieces get put into place. Cool. Been like that every day for a year, so we've been <laughs> hammering it. That's uh, that's amazing. So, since you moved out of your studio, have you found the home studio more productive or potentially more distracted? Uh, it's been way more productive. It's nice to have windows. Mm, yeah. Because the other one was like a black hole. You didn't know what time of the day it was. And you go in at 11 a.m. and you come out and you're like, oh, my God, I've missed the entire day. <laughs> yeah, the sun's gone. That happened to me all the time. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like going, going home at 11 p.m. Just like, wow, that's weird. Have you had to like set like work hours or like boundaries for yourself? I've been working from home a lot this year and I have a hard time like I'll... Uh, I'll just, you know, do a recall after dinner or whatever I need to do and uh, have a hard time turning it off sometimes. Have you been having that problem? Uh, yeah, I I get up in the morning and I start around noon and I don't stop until it's done basically. I like I don't I don't care. It's just like I'll just keep on going. Uh, I have to limit myself and try and take a walk or a run every day at least in between the sessions so I could just like clear my mind and mm. um but i don't really time limit it sometimes i'm up till four in the morning keep going on the song because i'm just like i'm in i'm into it you know yeah i like doing it not like it's a pain in the ass i actually really enjoy doing it like i'll probably get off this call and go and make a song like that's <laughs> it's just why it's just it's nothing else to do as well it's just it's exciting to me because and also you don't know i don't know what today might bring. I might write something that is unbelievable. I might write the worst thing in the world, but at least I tried. Right. Well, you have to know. You gotta. You have to figure out what's on, on the plate for the day. I don't limit myself apart from... I don't ever... I don't say, oh, this is it, man. 10 o'clock. We, we started scheduling hours with the, the group that I'm in. It's called Rebel Hearts Club. Um, that's with the two writers who I've mentioned, Addison, Scott, and Ray. We started, we were doing every single day and by the end of the week, 
like this was like going on for like three months and then at the end of that time we're looking at each other and we're just like oh my god like i can't see you today like sorry <laughs> just we need time off somebody needs to go to the beach and then i went to mexico for uh christmas came back and then we were like okay we're just going to limit it to monday wednesday friday it's good but we don't when when we're in it we don't stop and like last night i was at the studio till 2 30 in the morning because it was just like right we'll we'll finish it tonight as well i mean as long as it feels good then there's no reason to stop especially break a creative flow like that so you've been here for i think you said nine years so where in your nine years of experience where does record label fall into the equation for like for a new band or even potentially you is that something that you think kids should be interested in is that something that you would want or do you think that the the time to be independent is happening? Well, I like I said, I came over here. I made um, I made the album in England. Came over. I was lucky enough that it was already finished. I got the TV stuff going, and then labels obviously followed that. Where you know people started showing interest. Oh, like we like this. What are you doing? Come meet us. And a lot of the times it was like I was going into different offices of different people and. Um, playing acoustic guitar, playing the songs. And I just found the whole process to not be that exciting. It felt like I was on trial and it's just like, you know, <laughs> and I don't like to feel like that. It's like, come on, man, there, there's a reason why I'm here. Like, why are, you, why are we playing games? Why am I going out for the seventh dinner this week with you to have drinks and go to like Boa just so you can tell me that you want to change my mixes on my song or you don't like this that I'm doing? It's like... It's like, oh, the drummer sucks in your band, which we've had before. And I'm like, hey, man, like this guy's been with us for years. We're not just going to get rid of him now. So anyway, I think for me personally, I prefer the whole indie approach. Like, I, I got signed to an a independent company, and it was fantastic. I didn't have a car at the time, and they would have somebody pick me up every single day to go to the studio in Venice which was amazing. Like they, they really believed in my project. It didn't work out so well just because we both wanted different things. Right. I wanted to be this cool rock star. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted me to be this young pop star. And, I, and at the time, I had an ego and I thought I was too cool to be pop. Now, I would look back and say, come on, man, you should have at least tried that song. <laughs> A lot of songs that were offered to me, I was like, no, I didn't write this. I'm not going to sing it. If I was going to tell somebody, I think being independent is way easier. You don't have to give any money to anybody as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> it's actually, if you get a song in a TV show, you're like, you know, you don't want to be given 25% of your income to somebody else. Plus the licensing companies, then going to take their sync fee too. So it's just like, wouldn't you rather just own everything yourself and the master and then you don't have to basically give half of your money away to the label? Oh, yeah. I would stay independent. Yeah, I think there's so much access to music now and, and it seems like, you know, a lot of the streaming services, there's a lot of artists that are doing really well that that seem, they seem to be independent. You know, they might hide it well, but I think if you can get some hype and you can get some syncs and play your shows and I think it's a really awesome time to not have a record deal right now you know if you're yeah, if you're the I right think... genre i mean you're not going to be the next ariana grande without a record deal there's too much money involved in that process but i think independent is a great move especially with everything that's out there for you like if you're willing to promote yourself i'm terrible at, at it like i'm the worst person ever <laughs> so if people want that marketing advice from me you're barking up the wrong tree man. <laughs> like, like i'm the worst person for that Dave, I can told write you to write a song. a song every day, so that's it. Write a song every day. Yeah, I can write a song, but like, I'm not good at Instagram or any of that. I wish I was. I wish I was better at it. But, you know, I think a lot of people these days who I see are doing well, it's just like, you know, they've got a great Instagram presence. They know their own brand, as they call it. It's like they know what they're offering to people, and they work hard on it. I played in a group who are actually like, they got massive on Instagram. And then the band actually took off. It's great. And I played bass for them. But um, yeah, I think I would stay independent for me. I'd say I'm comfortable with independent. 
<laughs> but it, honestly, if like Sony's listening to this, come on, man. You know? <laughs> I'm still open to 20 offers. That's right. Okay, so, you know, kind of along the lines of, of the record label, is there anything that you would do differently? I mean, obviously, it's kind of a cliche question, but if you were to get back on the plane and come over here, is there any choices that you would have taken or, or definitely not taken? Um, I would have done a lot of things differently. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would have taken more opportunities that I shot down. Um, I got offered a lot of great things at the beginning of coming here that I just thought were I, w- I was too cool for because I was in this rock indie band. And it was like, yeah, man, we're, I'm too cool for this. I don't want to do your, your TV show, whatever. And like, and I don't want to, because I got asked to act in a couple of things. I was like, oh, really? nah, no way. <laughs> I'm not, not doing that. But I would have saved some money, some more cash, especially from the TV show stuff. I would have taken opportunities. I would have been a bit more open to things. There's a lot of times where I must have been a nightmare to work with at the beginning <laughs> because I thought, you know, I've wrote this album. I've come over here. I had a massive ego. I thought I was too cool for school. I would have told young Dave, hey, man, like you need to calm down and listen to this guy who's got a lot of experience and take your ego somewhere else, man. Just be open to things as well. So I came over here with the idea that I was going to get signed and going to be famous. That was it. Like, it did not work out at all the way I thought it was going to. I always wanted to be a songwriter. And it was about five years ago where I thought, I really want to focus on songwriting. Like, my dream is, I know we talked about chasing the hit, but my dream is to write for somebody big. That's what I really want to do. I'd love to be in those rooms with these people never had the opportunity yet but i would like to so if anyone's listening they want to jam come on (laughs) contact info will be in the show notes yeah i was going to ask you a lot of musicians take pride in their work as they should because you know making art is as we know very challenging but a lot of people fight the fight giving up a percentage of it whether that be to a manager or to a licensing company Obviously, a record label is going to take way more than you want to you want to give. But do you think that musicians should be more open to allowing other people to be involved in their project in that manner? I mean, obviously, you have a licensing deal, so you're slightly biased and you're not going to knock them. But did you ever have that moment in your career where you were like, ah, I'm not giving you 10% for this, even though you're passing up an opportunity? Yeah, there's so many times where I thought, I was like, how dare they? They've not done anything. All they're doing is sending emails. <laughs> but I I was complaining about it one time a few years ago to somebody. And this guy is an absolutely amazing songwriter, written some of the biggest hits ever. His name's Keith Forsey. He is my girlfriend's father. He wrote Hot Stuff. Um, Don't You Forget About Me, Simple Minds. Like, oh, yeah. And he said to me, he goes... Because you have to remember, it's like you're giving away a percentage, but that you wouldn't get the opportunity if it wasn't for that person. So you just got to let that go. You just got to remember, like, whatever. Like, I'm giving, like, you can't worry about the small thing, just like the, giving the percentage away. You just got to remember that without that person involved, you wouldn't have that opportunity, even though you might not think they're necessarily doing the biggest job in the world for you. They're still getting you an opportunity that you wouldn't have if it wasn't for them. True. Well, we'll uh, yeah, you know, 85 or 90% of, you know, something is a lot more than 100% of, of nothing. Exactly, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I I'd was, rather have a percentage of something than 100% of nothing. Yeah, and well, you know, and we all know that things like come from other opportunities and things spiral. So it's like you just need to get the ball rolling. And I think, uh, you know, um, people need to understand what they're giving up when they do a deal like that, but I don't think they should eliminate it. I've, I've just, I've met a lot of people that they refuse to cough up anything, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's, I, I, I like having, um, a licensing agent. It's, I think it's great. It's, uh, it's a headache that I don't have to have. It's like, there's been times where I've been sent, you know, Hey, I want to use your song for this, um, 
the scene for this tent company or something. And it's just talk to my agent. He'll sort it out. She'll sort it out. You know, then I could just go, okay, and I'll just wait for the email back. Like, oh, we got it. We negotiated a deal with you for you. Here's what you're going to get. I'm like, oh, great. Didn't have to do anything. I just carry on writing the songs. I like it that way. Oh, it's great. You get to stay in the creative headspace and, uh, you know, you don't have to argue over, you know, a dollar here, a dollar there, whatever it is. Yeah. And also, I think they do an amazing job. Um, I work with another company. I work with Zinc Music in the US and in um, in the UK, I work with a company called What Do You Sync? And you guys, if anyone's listening, you should check both companies out. They're both fantastic. Uh, what Do You Sync is a boutique in London, a little boutique licensing company. Uh, they're fantastic. They get a lot of cool uh, commercials. They've, they've got me a, a few things, which is great. And they work hard and there's... Two people, Will and Trish, and they work their asses off for you. So I would suggest anyone listening who's looking to get into that should hit them up. There it is. Uh, speaking, since we're back on the on the licensing, in your experience, have you had more success when somebody gave you a brief and you wrote to it or more success when you were just throwing pitches? And uh, I've had success with both, but the biggest success or the ones that kept getting placed, the songs that I'd just written for myself that I thought was good. Right. The brief songs have been good and they, you know, it's for a specific brand or a TV show. And they're fantastic because, you know, you, I, I really enjoy getting the brief because it puts you into a different mindset where you're like, I wouldn't have written that song today if I hadn't been pointed in that direction. Like I said before, I, I ignore the, the songs, I don't ignore the brief, I ignore the songs. I don't want to write a song that sounds exactly like Ariana Grande or Dua Lipa or something. I'll take note from it. And I love that when I get a brief, um, because it opens my mind a little bit than where I would, I might be going down a different path. And then they say, oh, we need a Dua Lipa style song in this fashion with this lyrical content. You're like, cool, I can do that. It never ends up sounding like Dua Lipa, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it's in the same world, which is good. And I I do like getting the, getting the briefs. Is there like a like a, an excitement in the challenge of it when you have to go outside your box? Are you into that? I love it. Yeah, I like it. It's cool, especially like it's it's absolutely awful when you don't get it because you've just spent two days doing a song that you're like, well, we can't use that for anything because we literally say the brand name in the song. <laughs> <laughs> like, but when you do get it it's like oh nice like i managed to you know write a song which uh which which gets on something major and you just it's it's a great feeling the best ones that i really like I've, that i've done i worked with a guy larry granite his name is and he has a his artist name is think up anger um he was the guy i did the x-men movie with uh, he was a DJ before he got into trailer stuff. So he's got, you know, he knows all about electronic music. And we did a, a bunch of covers. And one of them was uh, a cover of The Doors, The End. And that was really fun because I got to be my Jim Morrison. I got to sing like, this is the end, you know, do the whole, yeah, the whole gym vibe. It's awesome. Yeah, and th those are loads of fun to do. And they sound amazing like when you're doing covers of classic songs because you already know the track and you just get to make this big bombastic version of it. Oh, yeah. I've heard some really great trailer covers of uh, classic songs. You've got like the big epic like trailer-sized ones and then you've got the where they flip them to minor and like it's all yeah. dark and eerie. And, and I love just trying to identify the song. I've heard a lot of good ones. Uh, I've been involved in a bunch of ones that I really like. So, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a little a little off topic. Music scene in Britain. Would you ever go back? I've always played with the idea of going back and living in London. Uh, before I came out here, I was going to, I was going up once a week, um, playing shows, trying to get signed, working with a bunch of people showcased for loads of people went into office meetings with like you know these big big labels did the whole thing and i was like oh man like i kind of just shot it down as soon as i got to la and i'm I've, so i've always played with the idea of like maybe i'll go back maybe i'll give it another shot maybe i'll i'll try again over there but 
I, I wish I knew more about the industry there. Like, like for me, my complete world is songwriting and licensing these days. So yeah, because of the pandemic and being an artist, it's like there is, I can't really be an artist currently. I can't play any shows. And that's what I really enjoyed myself doing was I loved playing live and currently we can't. Yeah. Uh, that's why I, I, I love playing Atlas Genius. I got the opportunity to do that. And um, I've known those guys since 2016 and we literally speak to them every single day, even though they're in Australia. They're my best friends and we have a blast and I just can't wait for, for the borders to open, for the music venues to open. Maybe we'll play in London. Maybe we'll go back and do some English scene, but that is something that I've always thought of. Like in my mind, it's like, oh, maybe I'll go back. It's kind of like the, I'll, I'll stay here until I really succeed, and then I'll go back. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the idea. But what at what point is succeeding? You know? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to. That's a, always a changing target as, as your life shifts. What what success is. Mm-hmm. So my my feeling about the music scene over there is I you know I could be wrong because this is a total outsider perspective is uh it seems to be more band centric and like more what would be indie over here is more popular over there and then over here in the states right now we're in this period of solo pop stars or or solo alternative artists and and hip hop artists is is that the way that you see it is it a little bit like India over there? Well, I, I know when I go home, um, I was trying to go back twice a year for a month at a time. So I go back for two months of the year. And um, I haven't been able to go this year. But other years I'd go back and I'd be like listening to the radio. I'm like, all right, like some rock and roll on the radio. Like, yeah. this, this is number one. It's like nothing but thieves. And I'm like, this is badass, man. Like, yeah. that's what you want to hear. Like, I want to hear some some guitars again. I think it's actually coming back in the US. I really do. I think it's actually, I think guitar bands are definitely coming back. I think kids are picking them up again. It's almost like the 90s are starting with the fashion and the music. It's almost coming uh, full circle to the 90s, it feels like. Even I, in I England, like you've you got Oasis sounding bands in England that are like now popular again instead of the Spice Girls being popular. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I, I think guitars are coming back. I think so too. I think it also brings so much joy. There's a lot of um there's a lot of times in my life where I've you know, I've been successful in writing songs and I've I've had some great times. I've been I've had an amazing life and I actually blame it all on picking up the guitar when I was fifteen. Like I live in a different country in one of the coolest cities. I get to write songs every day because I picked up a guitar when I was 15. I goofed off at school. I didn't do well <laughs> at college. I, you know, but the life that I've lived has been so fantastic all because of music and because I picked up a guitar when I was 15 years old. I've literally, I I've, I count, you know, every day is just like a blessing. I think it's just like, wow, man. Like I find myself, I found myself in Australia last year writing for the Atlas Genius record. And I'm thinking, I'm sat there on the beach and I'm just like, oh my God, like I wouldn't be if I hadn't picked up the guitar when I was 15 years old. Oh yeah. Where would I be? Where would I, what would I be doing with my life? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. I mean, you find yourself in music, you work with all kinds of different people, you find yourself jumping on a plane to go somewhere for 24 hours to do something and whatever it is. It's uh, It's definitely always interesting something is always happening you don't know exactly what's going to happen on the other side of it it's always a ton of fun you know i remember even going back to the beginning of the conversation when the filthy souls came over to the u.s to do that tour and we were on the tv show abc family i remember at that point even you know that long ago i remember just being like oh my god man if i hadn't played the guitar if i hadn't not gone to class every day (laughs) I didn't go to, I didn't go to, I was out of school. Basically. I remember one of the teachers, he was just, he was really cool. And he just said like, Oh, you don't have to come to my class as long as you're rehearsing in the practice room at school. I was like, all right. That's amazing. So I find myself like in an, in the U S I'm 
playing on this TV show. I've got my song out and I'm thinking, oh man, like, how nice is that? Like my dad had guitars growing up and I took an interest in it and I've managed to, you know, be here now talking to you. I wouldn't even be talking to you if I hadn't picked up the guitar. I, I wouldn't be asking you questions if I hadn't picked up the guitar. So yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, <laughs> so yeah. So that, that brings us to kids better start picking up the guitar. Or you're going to be stuck in your house all day. Yeah. You don't know. If you pick up a guitar now and you're 15, you could be in LA rocking out in no time. <laughs> uh, so I close every episode out. I don't know if you've listened to full episode. I, I close everything out with the same, uh, the same question. So I, I got to drop that one on you. What okay. right now is your current big goal, your target, and what is the next smallest thing you're going to do to uh, go towards it? My big goal. Um, I'm so excited for the Atlas Genius album to come out because we've worked long and hard on this and it's finally starting to get songs pushed out. Uh, I can't wait for that to happen. I can't wait for this, the group that I'm in currently, the Rebel Hearts Club. I can't wait to finish up our second record because we've already finished one album. It's been submitted to the licensing company and we're on to album two. Amazing. Um, um, for Filthy Souls, I've got about 16 tracks that are just waiting to the right opportunity to come out. Cool. Um, those are my long-term over the next year, I want to write 100 songs for film and TV. That's my goal. Um, have them submitted. And my short-term goal is to go in the other room and write a song today. I like it. It's good. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, That's it. Do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you? I know Filthy Souls, you guys just did a single called Weekend Water uh, mid last year, right? Yeah. We're on Spotify um, as the Filthy Souls. Um, you can find me if you want to have a look at uh, snoop around my Instagram. It's uh, just Dave Green at Dave Green, but the the three the E's in the green are threes, so it's Dave Green with threes in the green. Uh, <laughs> you can go on YouTube. You can watch me play guitar if you want to, and then you should follow Rebel Hearts Club because we're going to be putting out new music soon. And check out Atlas Genius because. They're awesome, and I can't wait for this album. I'm so lucky to have been involved in it. I'm Good thankful, guys. not lucky. I'm thankful <laughs> to have right. been involved in it. <laughs> yes. Amazing, dude. This has been uh, this has been awesome. I will. Uh, I'll make sure that people can spell green with threes in it. I'll put that in there. But uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for taking the time and hanging out. Thank you. And that's it for episode 23. Thank you so much for coming on, Dave. Please don't forget to check out him and his music. Also, if you are not a member of the Complete Producer Network, please join that. We have a room over there where listeners can chat about uh, new and old episodes. So please go to completeproducer.net and sign up there. And uh, we will see you next week.